0: Welcome to this episode of The Decade Podcast, a podcast where we curiously explore holistic sustainability and answers to the question, how on earth can we live together? Join us as we learn from inspiring stories from champions of sustainability and beyond. And we hope to inspire you to think, act and work for a better planet for all throughout this decade of action. In this episode, we speak with Steph L. Dixon, who is an incredible voice for sustainability. She's the founder and CEO of Green is the New Black. She's a podcast host and a two-time TEDx speaker and much more. In 2014, she was working in the fashion industry when she had a quite rude awakening that the industry she was so deeply invested in was, in fact, one of the biggest polluting industries in the world. She decided that she wanted to stop being a part of the problem and instead work towards being a part of the solution. And this was the seed that initiated Steph's impressing journey as an impact entrepreneur. And in today's episode, you will hear us talk about Steph's work behind Green is the New Black, her podcast, etc., but we will also deep dive into the human experience behind it all. So, without further ado, here's our next episode of the Decade Podcast with Steph L. Dixon.
1: Welcome, dear guests, to a new episode of The Decade Podcast. My name is Jonathan, and as always, I have my dear friend and podcast partner Melker with me today. The name of today's guest is Stephanie Dixon, an incredible voice for sustainability and a more conscious way of living. Welcome, Stephanie, to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here today. How are you?
2: Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. And thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to deep diving into a conversation with you guys.
1: Amazing, nice. So, um, you're a social and environmental entrepreneur and a leading voice for sustainability. And you are the CEO and founder of Greenest New Black, which is Asia's first conscious festival and media platform that uses stories, created experiences to advocate for social and behavioral change. And Your work aims to make conscious living and sustainability mainstream, accessible and sexy. And you also have your own podcast called Live Wide Awake, where the conversations circle around consciousness and climate change, sustainability and spirituality. You also do many talks and workshops on conscious living, rethinking and driving sustainability at work. And giving many inspiring keynotes on actionable green steps for meaningful change and eco-anxiety. And you have also a two-time TEDx speaker. Today we will, uh, of course, talk about the fantastic work you do. But also what me and Melker want to highlight in this podcast is, is the human experience behind this work. Because as we know, and I know that you... You framed it so beautifully, making this transition to a more healthy and healthy state is is truly an inside-out job. But uh, now, before we jump into our conversation today, is there anything you would like to add onto that description of of yourself and the work you do?
2: Uh, I can give a, a little bit of color. So. In 2015, I had a uh, it was 2014 actually I had a bit of an epiphany um, where I realized that fashion was one of the most polluting industries in the world because I was working in fashion back then and I had a moment where I realized I couldn't continue to be part of the problem and I wanted to be part of the solution and because I'd been working in events for uh, the last four four years before that. I decided to kind of use my skill set and figure out a way that I could do something to be part of that solution for a greener and brighter future. And that's really where the conscious festival stemmed from. Mm. And it's not something that's Mm. specifically just about fashion. It's about a lot of different things, but that was really, I guess, where my journey kind of started in the beginning. And uh, yeah, it's been a whirlwind rollercoaster since then, which I'm sure we're going to dive deeper into in today's chat.
1: Mm. Yeah, totally, totally. And I think I'm going to just jump straight into it here with you. And you said there that you came into this work working in, in fashion, but um, how would you describe your own personal experience with working for positive change and sustainability? Uh, what is it that's that driving you? And was there anything, anything else that uh, came to you and ma- made that decision to walk down this path for of doing the work that you do?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think one of the first moments where it really hit me was watching a documentary called The True Cost, which again is about the fashion industry because back then fashion was my world. And I just remember watching it and thinking, how did I have no idea that the fashion industry was this polluting and this socially corrupt? And I was working in this industry and really you know, a complete consumer. I was completely bought into the whole system, the whole consumerist fast fashion cycle. And I had no idea what was going on behind the scenes. And that really made me feel really naive and almost shocked at how little I was aware of what was going on, but also how glamorous this fake curtain that the fashion industry really put up. And so I think when you have such a rude awakening like that, it's really difficult when to not be activated, you know, to not be like, whoa, (laughs) I can't believe like uh, what I've been working almost felt like a lie, you know? And uh, so that really set me off on like a very deep, curious journey where I went down the rabbit hole. And I think once you get to a certain point, you really can't turn back anymore. Once you understand about the impact that people and industry and, and governments are having on the planet. And, you know, you try to reconcile that with what you could possibly do uh, and just try to be positive about it. But I think it's definitely been a difficult journey. I'm, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm mm. very open about the the challenges mm. that it is to be an entrepreneur and especially an an activist and everything that goes along with that work and, and these worlds.
3: Mm. So interesting to hear you say that. And I find it interesting to hear uh, the, the wake-up call situation because I think one of the key points in the big... And the big, big challenge is that we have a lot of information of what is happening, but not enough activation, climate reaction from these. So I find it very interesting that you took that call to action and went so far down the rabbit hole that there was no turning back. Um, but this uh, this journey leads you to today running Green is the New Black. And I'm very curious to hear your uh, description of what that is and why it came into this specific manifestation of the the call that you felt.
2: Yeah, I think the beautiful thing about being a first time entrepreneur is that you really have no idea what you're doing.
3: <laughs> and so
2: I think since 2015, uh, when I started this, I have pivoted and evolved so many times and changed direction to try and figure out how Uh, we could be a sustainable company in all aspects of the world. So not only reducing our own impact and and making sure we are really setting a very good example of what's possible, but also making sure that we survive uh, in, in this time. And that's really where the idea of this social enterprise concept came from. You know, making sure that we are making you know a social impact having an impact on the way that we you know with everyone that we work with or that we touch with the work we do you know it's having some kind of activation and change but also that we're able to survive and have roots over our head and drink wine because you know that's what I like to do
0: <laughs> so I think
2: over the years it's definitely evolved but the main things uh, are, are kind of set now um, after a lot of evolution over seven years so we do a conscious festival which is the largest event that we do. And we started doing that in Singapore. It's a really big event that now has around 5,000 people that come, and uh, it's basically evolved from. I think our first event was like 600 people, and we have like a marketplace and talks and workshops, and it's really just to show people that green can be the new black. That really is where that word and phrase comes from of our company. And just showing people that actually sustainability can be awesome. And there's so many amazing humans that are literally dedicating their lives and their work and their passion and their time to creating better solutions that are cool. Because when I started in 2015, sustainability was really seen as something that was like very hippie. It was, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of kale eating vegans or... Uh, you know, just uh, hemp-wearing hippies. And that's actually the image that a lot of people had. A lot of my friends even said to me at the time, like, oh my gosh, Steph, like rolling eyes, you're going to become a hippie now, blah, blah, blah. And I hated this so much, but it also really energized me because I was like, absolutely not. Sustainability can be so cool. It can be a whole different lifestyle that actually makes you feel good, but also, yeah, it makes you like cool and, and uh, excited, you know? And I really wanted to show people that. So it was really my mission in the beginning to create an event experience where people was like, wow, this is a really cool event, like there's cool music, there's great food, all these amazing brands. And like, oh, by the way, this is like crazy sustainable. And I never even thought this kind of stuff was possible. So that was sort of the vision and mission. And then we, you know, we just did these one massive event once a year and then decided we wanted to connect further with our community and with other people around the region and the world. And so then we launched our media platform. And because of that, we've been able to do a lot of incredible partnerships, including a really cool youth program, which we uh, co-launched last year with uh, some really incredible partners, including WWF, Tomasic Foundation, and the UN. So that was really special to basically help create the next wave of sustainability influencers. So as I said, lots of pivots, lots of evolutions, uh, but overall, I think you know, we've managed to stay true to the mission of making sustainability more accessible mainstream and just trying to make it sexy. Because I guess mm. we always thought that if you make something sexy, then it becomes cool and trendy. And the idea is that if you make something a trend, hopefully people realize like, oh, actually, this is a really beautiful way of life. And I feel much better about myself. And I understand about the impact on the planet. And then it becomes a part of their life. It's no longer just a trend. At least that's what I've always tried to hold true.
3: I'm so glad you bring this up because this is the next point I wanted to touch upon and uh, making sustainability sexy, which is something that has been we've been focusing in this podcast on highlighting positive and inspiring examples for people to want to immerse themselves in the sustainability world, because I think that's such an important driving force in it can't just be fear based, it has to be to some extent based on inner will to go the miles. And You mentioned influences there which was brought up in our last episode actually which is why it's so fresh in my mind where it's interesting to have role models uh, of uh, that can either be promoting consumerism and uh, filling your personal gaps in your life with things or if we can use those platforms those people to uh, promote a healthier way of living a more conscious way of living that's could be fantastic. And that could be a really positive driving force that can create a large momentum. But I also wanted to ask you like on the point of these festivals, that the word conscious in in that um, statement, what does that really mean in a festival? What's the difference between a music festival and uh, your conscious festivals?
2: Mm, that's a great question. I, I think zooming out when I think about the word conscious or consciousness, for me, it's really understanding that our decisions not only impact us, but our environment and the planet as well. There's this knock on effect. And for me, it's also being aware that and being conscious that when we make a decision, it is impacting us. And this is why we really talk about it as an inside out job. And so I guess the difference with our conscious festivals is that we really look at the pillars, different pillars, including well-being and consciousness itself. And what does that really mean? And how do we actually be better humans? And how do we look after our own internal landscape so that we can show up to be better versions of ourselves? Because when our cup is full or when we really invest in our own growth and in our own happiness as well, then that allows us to be able to give so much more to the world. And I think, especially in the past, and I've definitely fallen into this trap as well, when you're working in this space or you have these awakenings and you fall into the eco-anxiety, it's so easy to stay there and to stuck, be stuck in spiral out of control um, or really you know, suffer mentally. And it doesn't need to be that painful all the time. So I think that's when we really focus on this conscious aspect because we want to make sure that we're okay and that we're you know strong internally so that we can also be strong externally and then the other thing is really as i said creating designing a really beautiful experience where people can see that it is possible to do a large scale event and do that really sustainably so we always push ourselves and challenge ourselves to do more and more in our last event that we had in singapore Uh, was a 98% zero waste. And we had over 4,500 people come to that event over two days. It's a lot of people. And to get to that level of um, low waste with people eating and drinking and you know uh, all the different brands showcasing there i think it, it shows that it's possible and it really isn't that difficult actually and it feels great so i think you know that's kind of what we look at when we're talking about consciousness it's both the internal and external and how those link together so deeply
1: mm-hmm. i think that's a really great way of going about and, and showcasing that it is actually possible to do this, these kind of things um I'm curious I'm a bit curious to what what kind of people are you attracting to these festivals is it only the the hippies or, or the, the the tree huggers or is it uh, more mainstream people or who is your target group to go to these festivals
2: yeah we got a lot of people who are interested in sustainability obviously because especially when we started in singapore and then went to hong kong there wasn't really uh, many consumer-facing events at the time, uh, which were tackling this topic. So we did get a lot of people who were interested, but also just a lot of people that just heard about the event because it was a cool event and they could come and meet great brands, eat good food, and, and listen to great music. So it really. But you know, when you're having like 5,000 people coming. Uh, it really does bring quite a diversity of crowd and age. So we get students, mm-hmm. we get young families, we get working professionals, we get people who work in banks that are just curious or have heard about it somehow. So it really is quite a diverse audience. But what I would say is that most people that come, they care about their well-being and the well-being of their family, and they're just there to learn something. They're there to, you know, make take that one step forward. And our tagline is little green steps. So we really talk about sustainability as a journey. And it doesn't matter where you're at on that journey or how fast or slow you're going. What does matter, though, is that you are progressing forward and you continue to take these little green steps in the right direction. And that goes for every aspect of your life. You know, It's not just uh, you as a person in your home, but it's also the workplace you're in and what kind of impact you can make there and the education that your kids are getting and the education you're giving your family. And uh, yeah, I think it, it really is infiltrating that into all aspects of our lives and we try to cover as much of that as we can in a meaningful and entertaining way
1: mm, love it love it really nice and i think yeah, i really like that taking small green steps uh, i think it's uh, that's what what i come to realize like starting to making this transition both for myself and also the way i think that this this is truly a marathon and it's something that you never can be fully learn about. There's always something new to learn and uh, there's uh, so much uh, we can develop in the way we live today. So I, I really love that you come across two different kinds of people, uh, sparking that curiosity. I think it's uh, it's important to, uh, to kind of touch that internal internal drive. But Melko mentioned it earlier as well and we, we talk about this sometimes as well, that being in this sphere or studying sustainability, uh, we often get the sense that we're in in our own little bubble having our own important chats or or talks about sustainability and how we will change the world and the way we live and stuff like that and and sometimes it feels like okay but do we really come across with this message to the general public do we really work towards making this mainstream or are we just having our our internal conversations. So I really, really like the way, the work you do and how you target people and, and the approach of making this more mainstream and and accessible. But from your experience now, from working with this and, and exploring ways of making impact on larger scale and not getting across only the people within our bubble, what have been some of the tips and tricks or how do you work towards making sustainability more mainstream and accessible you obviously touched a bit on it but maybe you can elaborate a bit more on how mm. to actually get
0: across
2: yeah i think it's it's a very loaded question that comes up a lot because you know how do we influence more people and i think when it really comes down to it we just need to look as individuals what is our sphere of influence and where can we make the most impact in our current lives or our current setup. And I think it's also realizing when there are lost causes (laughs) for now, or when, you know, it's too difficult to have, there are some battles that are just too difficult to fight. And so it's really about, okay, where is the best place to focus our time and energy that's going to be actually be able to topple things over? So A lot of people ask, you know, how can I speak to my family and my friends about this? Or how do I, you know, influence those people that I love the most? And sometimes maybe it's not up to you to influence them, actually. And you should be focusing on the ones that are on the fence or the ones who you think would logically understand it. Or if you understand what their point will be, their turning point, because it's different for so many people. Some people can see a tweet and finally understand something and start to unravel that way. Other people will watch a documentary or attend an event, or it'll be their kids that come back and says, we're not doing this anymore in this household. And the kids are actually dictating a lot. I'm seeing that a lot more mm. and more because they're mm. learning about it all at school. So I think, you know, it, it's really about just seeing where you're at and just doing like a little, you know, a little audit of your life and where you think you can actually make influence. I think one place that people, really do underestimate is the workplace, you know, especially if you're sort of in a corporate structure or uh, if you're in a workplace where you can actually help to try and make some influence. And that just could be organizing some free talks for your colleagues or something like a lunch and learn, or it could be if there's an office space looking at how you can reduce the impact in your office. And those small changes have a way bigger impact because of the scale of Uh, the the impact within an office or within a company. So I think there's always somewhere that you can look where you can have a bit more influence and you can persuade more people. And I think we just need more people to think like that. Like in my community, what can I do? How am I going to be able to influence the people who I touch the lives of or who maybe follow me or interact with me on social media? And I think if you just think of it like small in that scale, then it doesn't seem so overwhelming. And then you're helping to lead by example as well, which is another great way to do it. And yeah, just uh, try not to think so big because then it really can make you feel small. (laughs) But actually Mm. all those small steps and the small actions is what we need more and more people to do because it will be our collective action, which is obviously made up of individual actions. That's how we collectively come together. And it will be that collective action that leads to the systemic change that we need, that leads to all of i guess the chance to actually turn things around within the decade that we're living in which i understand is what this podcast is named after. so
3: exactly yep exactly love that thank you for bringing that up and i love how you said um, that there you mentioned multiple different ways and i think uh, as i begun to dive into the the rabbit hole i thought uh, climate change and sustainability could be fixed more with the silver bullet solution which i have come to realize that we need multiple, multiple solutions that are context-dependent. And so these little green steps and um, making it iterative, I think that's important to be personally sustainable and not get engulfed in the complexity of it all. And you also mentioned leading by example, uh, which I usually draw the metaphor to how parenting sometimes works, that kids don't do what you say, they do what you do. And uh, so I like that analogy. But Um, We've been talking now a bit about your work with the festivals and Green is the New Black. But another thing that we felt really connected with you and your projects is highlighting this human experience of being and working in the worlds of activism and climate change and sustainability. So in your podcast, Live Wide Awake, uh, you talk about climate change and consciousness and sustainability and spirituality and how mental health is embedded in environmental health. So let me ask a quite big question here, but how do you see that these topics are interrelated?
2: Mm. It's it's such a big question. And I think for me, it's really understanding that our internal worlds is what we reflect outwardly. And this is, I think, when we really get to the crux of the reality and looking at the planet and what we're doing, I think so much of it can be fixed if we really fix our mental health and the mental side of things. And I think another big thing is that we forget that we are actually nature. So somewhere along the line, we sort of separated ourselves from nature. And we talk about going to be in nature, but actually we are living, breathing, walking, changing, evolving everyday pieces of nature. And when we understand that more, and I'm still, you know, going down that, that deep spiral to really embody it because it's so easy to forget, you know, our whole society is designed to separate us. Uh, and so it's really coming back to that, coming back to being home in our bodies and realizing that the planet is our home. And they're just so, it's just so interconnected. And so I think when people really focus on their mental well being, on their health, and whatever, however that looks like for them, and they really c- become stronger in their mind, they see things clearer. They see the interconnectedness. They are able to expand their minds and push out of the boundaries that society has tried to trap us into and realize that it's an inside out job. And That is how we're also going to be able to change the way the world works is when people start realizing how much we've tortured ourselves, how much we're torturing others, how much social media to a certain degree also continues to, you know, push these narratives onto us and, you know, all all the structures and the systems that, that we are of the current world that we're living in. So I feel like I'm waffling a little bit, but I think you understand the point that I'm trying to make. Uh, And I think it's just so critical because everything is interconnected. The way that we show up in our minds displays how we show up in the world, the way that the systems that keep some oppressed and help others thrive, you know, it's also connected. And when we talk about mental health, where it's connected to environmental health, but also social justice health, uh, social justice as well. And all of these things are interlinked and it's now becoming clearer and clearer to more and more people that focusing on different parts of the system. And trying to fix those parts or break out of those boundaries is really having a knock-on effect on everything else because it is all connected.
1: Mm. Yeah, totally. I, I couldn't agree agree more. I think it's. Uh, I got this mantra on a, on a a festival a couple of years ago that everything starts with you, and I think that's so 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 true, and it's really been stuck with me since then like if if i don't t- take care of myself or work mes- myself or responsible for my actions how could i even think of, of making any change outside myself and mm-hmm. i think if you know, maybe it sound like i'm up on my high, high horse here but uh, i think it's if we could collectively have that mindset more to to look within ourselves first and, and look inside first then the outside job will make will be so much easier and we would take i think even greater steps towards making the the crucial transition we we really really need so i think you framed it uh, really beautifully uh, and our conversation here in this podcast is we try to make this connection as as much as possible the the inside and the outer change Um, but yeah um, it's fair to say that we we live in some some strange times you touched on many different things there and there's countless evidence that the way we live as a species the way we live our life is not not sustainable i mean we have uh, the huge inequalities in life quality depending on where in this world that you live and in many countries where a good quality life is lived we we live in in depth to to our earth since uh, we're reaching the overshoot as early as April, for example, here in Sweden. And let's not forget the, we touched a bit upon it earlier, but let's not forget the aspect of the epidemic of mental health problems that are sweeping across many parts of, of the world. And scientists point out that also you said that the window of change is within this decade and there's a lot at stake here. And a reason for in our podcast we really want to try to have this uh, positive mindset highlight the positive examples and really keeping the positive momentum going but it, it is truly a challenge in the in the world we we live in today but and also adding up to that we, we humans tend to be more negatively biased than positive and it could be quite tiring working for positive change sometimes because there is so much negativity do do you have any ways to tackle your or our negative biases? How how do you stay positive in in this somewhat fragile world?
2: It's an ongoing battle.
0: Yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> one I've been working on for years, and I would say we'll be working on for a long time to go. Still, I think it's really a, a lifetime, <laughs> a lifetime battle that a lot of people will will face. You know. I think for me personally, I just do what I can. You know, I, I really spent the last the first couple of years, let me go backwards, the first couple of years of doing Green is New Black, everything was about the company. I completely and utterly ignored my health and my mental well-being, and I ended up in huge bouts of depression, anxiety, insomnia. Old things because I was just putting, so, I was like a little self pressure cooker in internally. And I had to really check myself because my burnout just got out of control. And then I realized, you know, this is quite crazy and borderline, I wouldn't say hypocritical, but I was grappling with the fact that I was doing these conscious festivals and also really, you know, promoting this idea of conscious living and well being. And yet I was deteriorating because I was putting, I was giving too much to, to, to it all and putting too much pressure on myself. And so this was a very interesting moment when I decided, okay, I have to start also prioritizing my mental health and doing the inside work so that, you know, things are, are better. And I I don't completely like burn myself out or end up in hospital or something crazy, which was the trajectory that I was on. And I think this is not a unique story at all. (laughs) I know a lot of activists and other people in the state in life in general, who, who follow a similar trajectory. And it's only then taking that first step to be like, okay, actually, this is not sustainable. I cannot keep going like this, losing the passion and getting really dark into the eco-anxiety of it all and sort of, you know, almost getting off track in a sense. So for me, what has really helped me is getting myself out doing um, r- things that really make me feel alive and really focusing on joy and bringing joy back to my life because I got to a point where it seemed like there was no joy left. And I was just a, this robot that was just going through the motion and drinking way too much, partying way too much to kind of compensate watching way too much Netflix. So just really like a lot of very destructive. Uh, habits and tendencies to numb the pain and to try to make me feel something other than, you know, what I was feeling. So uh, really detaching from, from those things and doing different courses and focusing on really understanding myself, doing therapy. uh, You know, I've I've really explored a lot of different things, but not all at once, obviously. So again, it's a step-by-step journey of, unlearning a lot of the habits that I had picked up along the way, unlearning a lot of the dark or deep patterns that were really keeping me trapped in this way of life that I had created. So that's an ongoing journey. I think I'm not even halfway through (laughs) um, at the moment, but I do feel the strongest I've ever felt. uh, And I definitely feel the happiest I've I've been in a very long time um, from what I've been doing this last year. So that was really, you know, taking a step back, delegating more and really being in more nature. My husband and I decided to be nomadic for the last nine months, which has been a wild journey during a pandemic, but very one that was actually very healing as well. And yeah, now I'm actually sober. (laughs) Not that I was an alcoholic, but um, I'm, uh, you know, removing a lot of toxin from my life and and that's keeping me much more stable actually as well. Um, So that's a a new part of the journey. Uh, Mm. But I think working with healers and doing therapy and being in nature as much as possible and having adventure, you know, I, I really forgot what it felt like to be in awe and to Feel like a child, and so childlike play, being an all, being immersing myself in nature, going on hikes, doing all the adventurous things like those are the things that keep me grounded and and really help has helped with my my journey and my mental health.
3: Mm, I recognize so much of what you're saying here, both personally, and also from so many other stories that I've heard from other people, and uh, I think also our continuous listeners can hear some similarities with other people we've talked with this aspect of getting lost in the work when it's so something so big and all-encompassing that you feel like almost like a martyr or a hero that, oh, I have to do whatever I can because this is so much more important than me personally. But then again, if you're going to be personally sustainable in that journey, you have to take care of yourself first. And it, then it's uh, also that living as you learn. Like if you want to preach sustainability, then you have to be sustainable. And I think okay. the, the real power there is taking care of yourself and then finding the others to have your support system. You mentioned there changing the way you lead to more delegative and uh, really bringing in the, the power of many. And that has shifted for me as well, like in various aspects of my work to really have people around me on similar missions, which I really trust to feel like I'm part of this journey. I'm part of this battle, but really it's not I'm not a specific big pillar, and if I don't step up to the plate, everything is gonna fall apart because there's so many things, so many people around me that are wanting to achieve similar things. And the last thing you mentioned here about awe and being in in love with life kind of, the the quote that you mentioned one time, Jonathan, comes to mind. I can't remember how it went with uh, waking up each morning, deciding what to do. Can you recall that one? Mm,
1: yeah, it was a while back ago, but it was this uh, this guy that also wor- worked within this sphere. That uh, the w- when he said something like, "When I wake up in the morning, I'm 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 deciding between if I'm gonna t- to enjoy this world, or improve this world, and that make it quite difficult to plan the day ahead." something like mm-hmm. that it, it's, uh...
3: yeah and what I wanted to say there is that I think the best way possible is if we can find ways to do both at the same time uh, yeah. to enjoy making the world a better place and uh, there's no question there so if Jonathan you want to come in mm. uh, you're free to step in uh, but I just wanted to offer that reflection
1: mm. yeah I think you you touched on many important points there Stephanie and, uh, and also reflecting on my own personal journey and and you described earlier there that I also feel that pain can be a very powerful teacher and that our relationships with hardships and pain can can really be be improved i think as you said it's your your how you described it that going through these rough times so is is not at all unique i think it's uh, very universal and a lot of people experience uh, so sometimes in their lives there is really rough to go through and personally looking back at, at my most difficult times in life I often look back at these times now and feeling very proud that I surpassed them but I also realized that as a person I learned so much and grew so much from it and that it was so many valuable lessons to to gain there and I, I feel that this it's still so stigmatized a bit to to go through these these times and also this some kind of odd, odd uh, light shed on these uh, these personal experiences how, how was it for you uh, when I when I share this my experience did you experience similar things or do you look back and feel that okay I just I really don't want to be there at all Or can you look, look back with some appreciation or is it, how, how, how was it for you?
2: That's a really intriguing question. I think when I look back, it's been a very painful journey and mm. it's been a very dark journey as well to try to find the light again and, and have more joy and less pressure and heaviness. I think heaviness is really the word that I would use to describe. Uh, the emotional experience of the last few years. And I think you're absolutely correct. When we overcome adversity and we really delve into the darkness of our soul, that's when you can really deeply understand yourself more. And you can do the work to get yourself out and to find the light again. But those hardships are what make us human. And it's what helps to build the tapestry of our lives because Without the dark, then there is no light. And so I think even though it's difficult, there is a level of acceptance that I've developed so that when the darkness comes or you know, the heaviness may come or I guess being a woman, hormones is a huge thing that we do not talk about enough, um, which we won't talk about today. But there's plenty of amazing people out are finally talking and shedding light on this so that we can understand deeply that sometimes it is just out of our control. And there's also a beautiful acceptance that goes along with that. But understanding the more I think that I understand about the nature of these things and the fact that it is just life, you know, and the more I do the work and the more that I understand it's addictive, you know, in in a good way, it helps you to really deeply uncover things and reach new levels of understanding. And I guess what I'm working towards and what I have fleeting moments of is peace and just being at home in my body and in my mind. And that is something that feeling of home and everything that goes along with that feeling of home and that feeling of peace is what keeps me going (laughs) and what keeps me doing the work and focusing and finding those things that actually work for me that allow me to feel alive and joy because life isn't fully going to be like that all the time. But the more I uncover and do the work, the more that I can then appreciate when those moments are there and the more I can just embrace. And I guess also understand that sometimes it's just emotion. Sometimes it's just something your body's going through. And sometimes, yeah, your mind is just there and it's just making a lot of noise. And the more you practice, the more you are able to I guess, detached from a certain level to a lot of these things uh, so that, yeah, it doesn't take you down the spirals and you don't really completely succumb to it, but you can step back and observe it. And when you become in the position of the observer, then you really realize that it's not actually you. It's just happening around and it's being triggered by certain things. And that's power for me. That's power and um, confidence and acceptance and really helps me to get to closer to my goal of feeling at home and feeling peace.
3: Mm, Amazing. I I love this, how you're you're actually helping us create a red thread between our episodes here without even knowing it. But uh, (laughs) something you mentioned here, uh, touching back to an episode we had a while ago with uh, a man called Joe Brewer, who spoke about uh, the stages of grief in relation to uh, climate anxiety and that that process is something that we need to allow to take place, that we need to have acceptance, arriving at acceptance for what we can see unfolding. Because that is from that place, then we can do, then we can do. And you also mentioned one uh, very important human cycle here. And I guess women uh, are more cyclical being than men in general, perhaps. But uh, there's another, Laura Storm and Giles Hutching talk about this uh, a lot in in the way to be a regenerative leader is to recognize that we are cyclical because uh, nature is cyclical and we as persons are cyclical going through different internal states and going through different stages of the year. Like we have annual seasons, which, of course, affect our moods and being. So I think that's, as you mentioned, that to observe and to be mindful of what is happening inside you and around you uh, to be in acceptance and be in respect of that to see, uh, okay, so from this state, who can I be? What should I do? Not taking decisions when you're down and not uh, planning overly when you're ecstatic, perhaps. And just having that space and place to observe where you are, I think that's something, a skill, really. And the arch that I mentioned there is that we're going to have an episode more dedicated to speaking about mindfulness and uh, these aspects in relation to this Um, so it's really fun that you bring this up but I'm also really interested now that you've been on this journey for a while Uh, you've been in these worlds you've gained a lot of experience and we're in 2022 now so what are you excited about right now like what are the next steps for you coming up
2: Hmm, what am I excited about right now? I think one thing that excites me is the amount of innovation that's happening around the world and the amount of amazing humans that never cease to amaze me of what they're achieving and the problems that they're tackling and solving. And I think one thing that that really struck a chord with me is an interview I did with Josh Tetrick, who's a founder uh, of Just. Uh, just egg and good meat. So they basically were the ones who uh, sold and created the first lab-grown chicken, although they don't like calling it that. It's cell-based meat. Um, And they actually sold it in Singapore last year. And I was one of the first people to be able to try it, which was really cool. But he is an amazing individual in his, also his inspiring aspect of everything that he shares. And he basically said, you know, at this stage, there's no excuses really left for not pursuing and helping to solve some of the world's most pressing issues because there is so much funding. There's more money that, than there's ever been available. And there are people who, if you've got good ideas, you can actually just go out there and, and make it happen. So I think that always really is ins- inspires me as well that there is so much opportunity now and so many really smart people and clever people who are going and solving the world problems so i love hearing about new startups and ideas and ways of and reimagining the world and breaking the system down and rebuilding certain parts of it so i have to say that has definitely been one thing that's got me out of my eco-anxiety <laughs> many a times it's just the faith in humanity to uh a help to turn things around. And then on, I guess a more personal or, or a small level for me, it's just being in nature and, and finding those moments of all, that's what excite me. Like I just, you know, I, I love being able to go hiking and, and walking and having unique experiences. And while I'm young and not having children just yet, if I do decide to have kids, that's a whole nother topic, mm-hmm. but
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. um, just
2: having moments for joy. You know, I think I, I had a a lack of joy for a long time. And I really want to bring that in for this year. Um, And then work-wise, I'm just really excited to this year, now that we've survived COVID, (laughs) we survived the pandemic, we didn't die. uh, What can the future look like? So I feel like I'm coming from a very much of a space of a possibilities mindset to rewire the entire way that I function in a workplace, the way that I show up for my work, And that's what I'm excited to focus on this year is really how do I show up as a better leader, as a better partner, as a better colleague, as a better contributor of value to society through the work that I do. So there's two big things that I guess I could summarize (laughs) that I'm focusing on. And that is one thing is like, what lights me up is a question I, I bring back to myself a lot. Does this thing light me up? Does it make me feel alive? That's one big question. And the other thing is how can I provide more value right now or more value with these situations? So those are two guiding questions that will continue to guide me through this year that I think I will finally have the mental capacity to really integrate into my life. And that makes me excited.
1: Mm. Love it. Love it. There's many many aspects to touch upon there. And it's gonna be so exciting to to follow your journey ahead really and it was a, a real pleasure doing doing research about you and and really <laughs> investigating the work, work you do. It's, I felt a lot of connection to to the important work that you do and the, the positive change change you drive there. But I want before we reaching the end part I want to circle back a little bit more because the thing that, that we talked about earlier and I, that resonated a lot with me to to kind of that you you said that, it's a lifelong battle to, to kind of uh, battle this negative bias that we have and having a more positive mindset. And we also talked about that balance between work-life doing positive change and your own mental health. And uh, also now you touched on this like involving more play, um, spending more time in nature, etc. And I could so much resonate with that too. I know intellectually that I need to do this stuff. And I've researched so much about it and I've listened to countless podcasts like how important it is to be conscious and how you can do that with mindfulness, etc. I'm, and I'm also great of giving the the tip to everyone else. You should do this and you should do that. But I also experienced that when it, the feelings actually hit me, all of that knowledge goes away and, and, and suddenly I'm very overthrown and very overwhelmed with all these feelings that that i'm experiencing i'm just curious to to ask you as well that you do you have any tips and tricks to get kind of get back to that state of of knowing what you're going through without being overthrown with these these emotions
2: it's such a great question and i've been there many a times uh but for me what i do is i guess first of all it's a practice and i think the fact that you can acknowledge that you're, that even happens is already a huge step and a huge sign of your level of awareness that you can see that that's happening and that you want to have a different reaction when that kind of stuff happens. I think that's, you're already on the right track, you know, like it's, um, it's good. And I think for me, it's just, I know that I'm going to be up and down. Like I accepted it. Well, Taken me a long time to accept and to really embody, but now I'm in a state where I understand that no matter what's going on in my life, I will always have a roller coaster emotionally. It's just making the roller coaster a little bit less severe and volatile, but there will always be these ups and downs. And some people experience it deeper and more extreme than others. And I experienced that with my husband. You know, I'm the, the psycho that's like on a roller coaster <laughs> and a freaking yo-yo. And he's just like this very calm, relaxed rock. And we do beautifully balance each other. And I'm very lucky and fortunate to have that in my life. But I think, Mm -hmm. you know, when I, when I have those overwhelming things of emotion, I know that it, it, it's just that, and I I'm able to, in those moments be like, okay, this sucks. And I feel really down or whatever, but I just feel into it. Because then it passes sooner and I know that it will pass and it's okay. And sometimes it's hormones. Sometimes it's w- what's going on in the atmosphere. Sometimes it's, you know, humidity or what I've eaten, or there's so many factors at play mm. that can can help uh, or can trigger that kind of behavior or that response. And so, yeah, it's just understanding, okay, that's cool. This is what it is today. And not making myself feel bad about that, being kinder to myself, not putting pressure on myself to achieve things because... One of the other big things that I always focus on is I always get stuff done at the perfect time. And I do, I do. it's like a mantra that I've repeated for years in my head because sometimes I would try to force myself to do something because I had a deadline or wanted to write that article or I needed to do this thing and it just wasn't happening. And it's like so much more draining, battling against yourself in those moments. So instead, recently, and it's only this last year, <laughs> I've been mm-hmm. like, okay, you know what? it's not going to happen today. And I'm not going to read my emails. And instead I am going to go for a walk mm. in the middle of the day, or I'm going to call a friend, or I'm going to watch Netflix for two hours because that's going to calm me down. And then maybe in the afternoon, I feel more energized or in the evening. And so it's just really listening more to my body and being kinder to myself in those moments. And and that's what's really helped me a lot. And I'm not perfect. And that's why I say it's an ongoing journey because sometimes I show up better than others. And for me, I describe it as an like, kind of like a mountain. And like for me, I can handle a lot. And I just build and it packs and it packs and it packs and it packs. And then it's normally something really stupid and mundane that completely breaks the camel's back and I go psycho. <laughs> and my husband does not understand this at all because he only sees the volcano erupting over something really stupid. But actually, it's all the buildup of all these other things that are come together. <laughs> and so no. that still happens. And I'm okay. I'm only human. And I just, Mm. yeah, I'm just practicing being kind to myself. And I see progress Mm. over time. And Mm. that's also been something that's difficult to accept because, you know, I I did so many different things and I used to get really frustrated with myself. Like, oh, I'm doing all the different things. I'm doing everything they say you should do. And yet I'm still Mm. not making, I'm still not able to do what I should do in those moments. And actually, no, I see the progress over time. And I think that's Mm. all I can focus on because I know it's a journey and it's ongoing.
1: Mm. Yeah, I can really feel myself in everything you say. I I recognize so much. And I think it is a really a a universal thing that a lot of people are feeling. And I think what you touched upon there is so important. It's it's part of the human experience. And that's what I I want to touch on a bit on earlier that you kind of normalizing this of being, imperfect and uh, I struggle with this as well I have I always want to make things perfect and and uh, I, I tend to be, be a perfectionist sometimes and, and just as you say some days you, you just don't feel it and it could be so many different things that are affecting your mood or the way you're going so sometimes it's so important to listen 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 what, how do I feel do I really feel later today no then maybe you shouldn't do it I mean nobody, nobody would die if you don't meet the deadline uh, I mean, it's better to take care of yourself first and then the outside will come come later.
2: Yeah, and when you're more in flow with life, it's actually so much easier <laughs> when yeah, you're not resisting exactly. and when you're not forcing. Uh, it's it's quite amazing, actually, and very freeing.
0: <laughs>
1: mm, yeah, totally agree. And work, as I said, working with the flow to, uh, I think we we put this a lot of imagination or or we think how it should be instead of just listening and going with that flow so i think it's it's really important i think uh, and there i think mindfulness can come in real real handy to kind of uh, get the the skill of zooming out a little bit to to look at your feelings okay what am i experiencing now and does it make sense, or is this really as big as I'm experiencing it? And, and really remember, as you pointed out, there that life is, is not a sprint; it's a marathon. And be gentle to, to, towards yourself, and and and, and look at the, all the progress you've you've done, and p- focus on the, the positive moments and aspects, I guess. Amazing. All right. We're uh, rounding up on our uh, last bit of our conversation here. So lastly, Stefan, I would just like to ask you, what would you like to encourage to listeners throughout this decade of action?
2: It's a very fun question. And I think based on what I've said today as well, there would be two things. One is remember to find joy in your life because there's no point. Otherwise (laughs) Mm, mm. Uh, we need to have joy in our lives. So that would be the first thing. And the second thing is not being so hard on yourself and on your journey and just remembering that small steps and your small individual steps have a huge collective action and huge collective impact. And so if you can just come back to you, the things that you you can control, your sphere of influence, and where you can see in your own life where you can make the biggest impact and have take the most action that will lead to really tangible things that you can see that will deeply encourage you and encourage others as well to continue on the right path and on the good fight that we need you on. So mm. that is what I would encourage you to focus on um, for this next decade.
3: Awesome. That would- so kicking in lastly here, a quite open door because you obviously have a great online presence, but I'll let you plug it and say it. Uh, if people want to find out more about you or your projects, where can they go?
2: Yeah, so I think I'm on all, almost all social media as Steph L. Dixon. Uh, so you can always reach out to me, most likely on Instagram is where I'm most active if you wanted to have a chat. And uh, you can follow the podcast at Live Wide Awake. It's on all the streaming and for socials for Green is New Black, it's just greenisnewblack.com on Instagram and greenisnewblack.com for our website that has everything and a lot of resources there to help you on your ongoing journey.
3: Great. Stephanie, it's been a pleasure talking to with you today. So thank you so much for being here and doing the important work that you do.
2: Yeah. Thank you guys for having me.
3: Thank you, Stephanie. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Decade Podcast. I would like to extend an invitation for you to reflect on anything that you found insightful in this episode that you can implement today, tomorrow and throughout this decade. If you like this episode, please feel free to share it with your friends and your networks on social media and feel free to reach out to us as well if you have any questions or suggestions at thedecadepodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com or through our social media. Thank you, and see you in the next one.